0: Hello, and welcome to the Life Church audio podcast. We hope that you find these messages encouraging, life giving, and ultimately get you closer to Jesus. Enjoy the message. Hello, Life Church. I'm so excited to be here sharing with you today. I just want to thank also Pastor Andreas um, for all that he does for our church and for pouring into me. And I'm, I'm super honored that he would be. Um, willing to share this platform um, with me today and give me an opportunity to speak. I'm very excited to share with you guys today. We have ourselves a bit of a journey to go on today. We've got a doozy of a text to go through, but I really think this is of vital importance for us as we go through the cultural and societal moment that we find ourselves in right now. I think that right now in our world, there is a lot to be scared. of stretched out. I know that in our world, there is a lot for us to be scared of and a bit nervous about. Um, there's a lot of things that are simply out of our control and it can lead us to some dark places, some tough spots. But I really believe that what we are going to read today, no matter how intimidating it might sound, no matter how kind of scary or gross and weird it might feel, it will help us see the hope-filled reality we each get to live into. Are you ready? Okay, let's jump in. Let's get going. We are going to be looking at the book of Revelation. Specifically, we're gonna be looking at Revelation 19. But before we get into any of that, I wanna make sure that we are all on the same page with a little bit of background on what the book of Revelation is. Because I know for many of us, this book can seem very intimidating, scary. That's very understandable. So let's just start on the same page. First, we simply need to know the actual title of this book. It's not Revelations. It's not the revelation of John, not the revelation to John, but the name of this book is found right in the first line of the book. And it's the revelation of Jesus Christ. The book is titled, The Revelation of Jesus Christ. It is the revealing of Jesus Christ, the uncovering of Jesus Christ. It was given by Jesus through a vision that he gave to John on the island of Patmos. He he gave this vision to John to reveal himself, to show himself. And this is a huge, foundational piece for us understanding this book whenever we're reading it, including today. It is a major piece because we need to remember with everything that we read that this book is about Jesus. If we read the book of Revelation and we're finding that we're not discovering more about Jesus and who he is, who he is now, who his story, why he came, if we're not discovering more about Jesus, we are missing the point of the book and the text entirely. Now I also want to mention off the top that for this message today, I've relied heavily on the work of a man by the name of Daryl Johnson. He's actually a local pastor, but he's a theologian who spent many years teaching at Regent College and preaching all over the world. Um, and he, he's also a world-renowned scholar on the book of Revelation. And his book, Discipleship on the Edge, is an incredible resource, really easily accessible. It's been invaluable to me for Um, for this message today. And I would highly recommend that you check it out. He also has many um, sermons on YouTube on Revelation and uh, and they're on podcast as well, if you wanna learn that way. But Daryl looks at Revelation as a five act drama and each act opens with the word open. It opens with something opening. And this is the opening scene of the climactic conclusion of this whole story, of the whole book of Revelation, of the whole biblical story. Just before we dive in, we've got that kind of base level. Before we dive in, I wanna pray for us because like I say, this is a vitally important um, book of the Bible and text, and we have to rely on the Holy Spirit to speak to us and we need to really try to understand this text properly. So Lord Jesus, I just ask that you would come, that you would be with each and every one of us as we look into this book today. I pray that you would be with me. God, sometimes, I I honestly, in preparation for this, I've kind of, at times, felt unworthy to to be preaching out of this text or unqualified. But God, I know that your Holy Spirit is living inside of me, that you qualify me. God, I just ask that the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart would be pleasing to your sight. God, that you would speak through me and that you would speak to each one of us, showing us who you truly are. Come and be with us now. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Revelation 19. You can read along this with, on the screen with me if you'd like, or if you have your Bible. We're going to be starting in verse 11. It says, Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. And the beast was captured, and with it the false prophet, who in its presence had done the signs by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped its image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur, and the rest were slain by the sword that comes from the mouth of him who was sitting on the horse, and all the birds were gorged on their flesh. That is a bit of a different vibe than most of the passages we like to go over <laughs> and cover at church. Um, it's a bit gross. It's pretty heavy. It's pretty, it's, it's thick. But like I say, I really think we need to understand this text for where the times that we are living in and what, what we're going through. So let's look at the main characters that we see in these scenes. There are two main characters, the beast and the false prophet. Now these two creatures are agents of the main antagonist of Revelation, which is the dragon. The dragon pretty obviously is Satan and this dragon has a problem. Fun fact, there's actually a Christmas story in Revelation. In Revelation 12, there's a Christmas story where there's this woman and she's giving birth to a child and the dragon comes to try and devour the child but before he can get to it, God takes a child, lifts him up, seats him on a throne and so now the dragon is in trouble. He doesn't have anyone to go after. So he goes after the only thing he can, which is the child's followers. He goes after Jesus's followers, but he can't just do that directly because if he did, um, Jesus's followers would be like, hey, look, that's the dragon. I know that guy. He's not good. I'm gonna stay away with him. So instead he enlists the help of two beasts, these two agents to go after us, to go after Jesus's followers on the dragons we have. These are the two beasts we see in our passage today. One is the beast of the sea, and the other is the beast of the earth, which in our passage and in later parts of Revelation is known as the false prophet. The beast, the beast of the sea, and the false prophet, the beast of the earth. Now this is important, the sea beast. The sea beast is a creature that represents dragon-manipulated political power, meaning political power that the enemy has coerced and empowered to attack Jesus and Jesus' followers. And now the false prophet, or the earth beast, represents dragon-manipulated religious power, meaning religious power that the enemy has coerced and empowered to attack Jesus and Jesus' followers. Now, we need to clarify something. The symbol of these beasts, the symbolism of these beasts, is not to say... That all political and religious powers are evil, demonic agents of Satan. That is not what I'm saying. That is a pretty far-reaching claim. It's not what I'm saying. Here, I will rely on Daryl again from his sermon about these beasts. He says, not that all political powers are manipulated by the dragon. And not that all religious power is manipulated by the dragon. It's just that in the quest for power, political powers become vulnerable to the dragon's offer of power. And it's just that in the quest for relevance, in the quest to make a mark in the world, religious powers become vulnerable to the dragon's offer of power. Notice, it's the allure of power that draws them into the dragon's trap. It's the allure of power that draws people into the dragon's path, path, tra- tra- trap. <laughs> the dragon's power and authority seems better than God's. Now I tried to include something in the message today where we went into greater detail about the beast present. I don't have, I don't think we have the time for that. It gets convoluted with this message. I would suggest, I would highly suggest though that you go and you read Revelation 13, read Daryl's commentary on it, listen to the sermon, go look at that. But what I need us to see out of this today is what pulls these beasts and their worshipers into the grasp and the influence of the dragon. Again, what draws them in is the allure of power of control, it's the elevation of self to the status of God, where you have your own power and you can control things the way you like. At the base level of how these beasts operate and how they were manipulated, that is what we see in them. And it's also often what we see in ourselves. <laughs> each one of us, each and every one of us were designed to worship. We were designed to worship God, but more often than not as sinful humanity, we end up wanting to worship ourselves. And when we worship ourselves, an issue comes up, not only that it's idolatry, but the issue now we, we, because we're our own idol, because we're worshiping ourselves, we need to show ourselves that we have control, that we have power. The things are in our control. The original sin was simply a selfish grasp for power and control. It was a selfish grasp for power and control manipulated by the dragon manipulated by the serpent. It was thinking that we needed, as Adam and Eve, like they need to elevate themselves to the level of God, a level that they did not belong at. And so they were manipulated by the dragon to take steps to make that happen. And it wasn't a showy desire for power where they're trying to power hungry, rah, rah, rah. It was a simple bite from a single fruit from the only tree that they couldn't eat from. Simple, single, small. It was a little decision. Our grasp for powers can be little decisions, a little decision to just accidentally ignore God's instruction, to know it and just kind of forget. Seems hard, that sin seems weird, I just, I don't wanna deal with it. The end of the day, it is what it is. It's us thinking that we would do a better job at being God than he can do. And oftentimes it comes from a place of fear and anxiety, a place where we feel out of control. And there has been a lot going on recently in these past couple years that would lead us to see that we're not in control. To show us very obviously that we are not in control. Not little things, big things, social issues, political division, diseases and environmental catastrophes that get rolling and we just, we can't get them under control. No matter how much we want our opinion to get all these things under control, we just can't. And so logically, Logically, it has led to a lot of us trying to find ways to grasp for that control, to try and get it back. There are blatant ones, like a rise in substance addiction and sexual vices, or often, or even the age of resignation that we see ourselves in, where people are leaving jobs or they're staying in them for too long. There are seemingly smaller ones too, like digital addiction, stuck on your phone, or maybe even how strong we hold on to our opinions, how, how we, so tight that god himself can't even have a say in it we think he does but like he's there trying to tell hey listen like like you you need i i don't know if there's a lot of love in that opinion like i want to be in there and we just are holding on to it so tight that he can't even get in a word or it's just again like i feel like this sin is weird or do i really need the church i've got awesome sermons at home i'll just Chillax. I don't I don't need to be with people. I'll be on my own over here. Listen, there is pressure to look everywhere for power and control except for God. It's a pressure to worship anything other than God. It's what these beasts are doing. It's they're putting pressure on us. There's real pressure and it's brought on by the enemy and his influence in the world but it leads to destruction every single time. Every time it does not lead to life. However, as we read, the beasts are not the only characters in this story. The beast's foil is our hero. And he comes in as a divine warrior riding on a white horse. This valiant military picture. This is where um, we're going to end up Honestly, spending the bulk of our time, but also where we're gonna close. Public speaking tip, if you say that you're gonna close, people tend to tune in more. So this is where we're gonna end up closing. But we're gonna look at the man who is on the horse. Like you might've seen at the beginning of this, the title of this message is Wake Up to the Man on the White Horse. Let's wake up to the man on the white horse. The one who is the antidote to the beasts and their need for power. Are we ready? All right, first, he is presented. actually, actually, I am not ready. I'm gonna need water. I am gonna start coughing up a lung and we're just gonna, we're just gonna be safe. All right, first, he is presented as a man riding in on a white horse. It's a brilliant military image. He has come ready for the battle. Remember, it says that the beasts and their armies were there ready to make war against Jesus and his army. the slain lamb that we see time and time again all through the book of Revelation. All through the book of Revelation, Jesus is presented as this lamb as if slain. And he is now presented as a divine warrior riding in on a white horse. He is called Faithful and True. He's called Faithful and True. He is God. He is supreme. Jesus is who he says he is. Right out of the gate, he wants it made known to us that we can trust him. Third, he is the man on the white horse and he has eyes blazing with fire. Eyes of blazing fire. Nothing is hidden from him. No thing is too small. No thing is too big or dark for Jesus to see fully. And in its entirety, when he looks at us, he looks right through us to our innermost parts. He looks at us and his eyes that are burning with fire purify us. They purify us. They burn things away. When he looks at us, when he truly locks eyes with us, we are flattened. We see who we were truly made to be. We see who he is. And so too are his enemies. They see who he is and they are leveled by his gaze. His head is adorned with many diadems, which... A diadem is a crown, didn't know that, but a diadem is a crown. And listen, now this one, this one is exciting. See, there are other parts in the book where it describes creatures wearing diadems. Multiple diadems, multiple crowns at a time. But each time, look at this, each time they're given a number, they're given a quantity of how many diadems they have. So the dragon had seven on his heads. the sea beast had 10 on his heads. With Jesus? too many to count. Billions and billions. There is no number given. There is no number, no quantity given to the amount of diadems on his head. There are more than the stars in the sky. His victories go on and on and on. You can't count all the victories. And you and I, you and I are victories on his head. We are a victory that he has won. He has raised us to life. He has pulled us from the the clench of death. He has pulled us free. We are victories on his head. When we receive the salvation of Jesus, he has another victory won and another crown is placed on his head. As we lay our crowns at his feet, he who wears hundreds of billions of crowns puts on another. We ride into the battle with him in victory, in victory placed on his head. He is the one who holds the victory. He has a name written on him that no one knows but himself. It says that no one knows him but himself. But what, what does that mean? What does it mean to have a name that no one knows but himself? You know what this means? It means that Jesus is indescribable. Indescribable. He is indescribable. He is, Jesus Christ is eternally searchable. He is eternally knowable. To know, Jesus and to discover Jesus is to know and discover love and to have that discovery grow deeper and deeper forever and ever. To grow and to fall into the love of Creator God, of our Heavenly Father, to know Him more and more. It also means, just briefly, that we can't tell Jesus what to do. We can't order Him around. We can speak to Him, we can pray to Him, we can make requests, but listen, we don't know every one of His names. He can't give. You know when your parents gave you the three names, Montana Bailey Wright or da 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 da. da like it's Willem Hendrik Bischoff. Right? Is there another one in there? I don't know. But when they gave you the three names, they knew every name. We don't know every name of Jesus. He came to serve. Yes, and he served. He died on a cross. He came to serve. He sacrificed. Now to be like him, we must sacrifice. We must serve. We must give our life to him. So that he can give us the life that he had. Now we see what he's wearing. This is one of the major keys in this whole thing. He's he's wearing a robe. He's dressed in a robe. It's a priestly, kingly robe by indication. Like, but the thing is, this robe is not clean. It's not clean. No, it's already covered in blood. Why is this? That's weird. What? Like he's. He's riding into battle in a robe covered in blood. Whose blood is this? If we've caught on to the story of Revelation, if we've caught on to the story of the New Testament, we know it's his own blood. It's Jesus's blood. It has to be his own blood. He he comes into the battle. This battle, we're going to touch on this more in a sec, so I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, but this battle right here, this is when Jesus comes back. This is the end of times. This is the giant concluding that, like we said, this is the climax of the book of Revelation. This is the conclusion. This is it. This is the end of the biblical narrative. This is the big battle and he comes, into this battle covered in a robe that is covered in blood because the battle was already fought. It has already been fought. The battle for the world was fought and won on Good Friday when Jesus hung on that cross. The blood on his robe is his own because it purchased all power. All power was purchased as he rose from death because even death couldn't hold him. His greatest battle was won through humility through submission, through his own death. God exalted the humble just as he said he would. It does say that this divine warrior does have a name. He is called by a name. That name is the word of God. And as Daryl says it, it just means that Jesus is God's final speech. I love that. It just... Encapsulate, like, Jesus as the word of God means that Jesus is God's final speech. Jesus is the definitive representation of God. He is the perfect, all-sufficient, full representation of God because he is God. He was the word, he is the word, he will be the word, he was there at the beginning, he will be there at the end, he is the first and the last, he is the alpha and the omega, all things came into being through him. And apart from him, nothing has come into being that is, that came into being. He is it, he is the source, he is the word of God, he is the exclamation point that God puts on the world. He's joined by an army. He's joined by a heavenly army. But do you notice how they're dressed? Again, they're not dressed in military dress. Just like Jesus comes into, again, battle in a white robe, not gear, not helmets and armor, and not not gear. He's in a robe covered in his own blood. They come in. riding riding white horses, yes, but they come in in priestly robes. The heavenly army was not dressed ready for a bloody battle and war. They came dressed as priests. And what do priests do? They intercede, they bless, they pray, they minister. What if, what if we took a breath for a second? What if we took a breath and we realized that as the royal priesthood that God has made us into being. We were called into our battles to intercede, to bless, to pray, to minister. Yes, there are battles to be fought and we've been given the the armor of God, but what if we saw that we are the royal priesthood? We aren't here to swing and attack and fight. These angels don't have swords in their hands. They are there ready to intercede, to bless to pray, to minister, to love. Now these are our final final descriptions of Jesus. And it says, says that he has written on his robe and on his thigh a name that is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And listen, every king has a king. Every Lord has a Lord. Every prime minister, every president, every school trustee, boss, school pack president, every one of them has a king over them. No matter how much they think, they don't have a king over them. That they, and no matter how powerful they think they are, there is a king over them. There is a king over you. There is a king over me. (laughs) And no matter how much we oftentimes act like, there is no king over us. That we are the king. (laughs) There is a king over us and that his name Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. He, that king, that king is Jesus. All power and control has to come from somewhere. That somewhere is Jesus. That means if we are to live the life that we were designed to live, we must submit to the rule and to the reign of King Jesus, of the man on the white horse, of the one whose law is love and whose gospel is peace. His law is not division or strife or loud gong crashing symbol like opinions. It's not. It is love and his gospel is peace. And finally, last but not least, I, I moved this one to the bottom because we need, this is, we we see his sword. Now, when I was researching and looking into things for this message, I just figured I'd do a quick Google image search for Revelation 19 because I like, I feel like we've all seen some of those like old school, um, well, not old school, I guess, like just paintings from like the 80s and the 90s where it's like way oversaturated and it's Jesus riding in and there's clouds and there's rainbows and there's angels and the angels come in with their their flags in their hand. And I looked up and every one of these images had Jesus with a sword in his hand. Every one of these images, all the angels had swords or flags or trumpets, and they're running in. And, and Jesus, for the most part, had a grimacing look on his face. There are a couple where his face just shone bright white, but look at the text. Look at the text. Jesus comes with no weapon in his hands. His hands are empty. He comes with one sword, and that one sword is in his mouth. Weird, gross image. The only sword that he or the priest army have for this war of the worlds, this battle, is a sword in his mouth. Jesus did not come into this battle for a bloodbath. He did not come for blood. He came to speak. You know, you know the Battle of Armageddon. I, or I, I assume most of us have heard of the Battle of Armageddon. There's lots of movies. There's lots of different things, but much, have been, much has been made of this battle. But listen, this right here is where the battle of Armageddon is supposed to take place. This is supposed to be the end of the world. There's one other section, Revelation 16, it's the only place where the word Armageddon is mentioned in the whole New Testament. And the seventh bowl is poured out right after they mentioned that all the armies were gathered at Armageddon. The seventh bowl, the seventh plague is poured out and God says it is done and kind of everything ends. But but that is one image of it. This is the same, this is the thing. This is Jesus coming back. And let's look. Let's quickly look at verse twenty to see everything about what happens in that battle. Ready? They're just captured. They're bound, thrown in the lake. No battle, no blood and gore. Jesus is coming in with a machine gun. He's not swinging his sword. The man in the white on the white horse has all the power. His sword is in his mouth. The battle is never fought because it didn't need to be fought. It was fought on Good Friday on with a man stripped naked, beaten, nailed to a tree. That's, that's the battle. That's the image of the battle. And then that man is on a white horse in a robe coming in victory. The man on the white horse has all the power. He has all the victory. He has All the control. That man is in control. When I look at that man, I feel the hope for the world. I feel what it's like to have hope for the world. I have felt hopeless at times over this past time. Like when we had that one little bit in November, like right at the beginning of November, there was a, a literal tornado at UBC and then we had this atmospheric river where there's all this flooding and sadness and loss and All these things, also, up in the interior where we already had wildfires all through the summer, like we've got this, and then on the news, oh yeah, we've got three more of these atmospheric rivers coming. They won't be as bad, but they'll still be, like, Like, I have felt hopeless at times, but when I look at that man, I feel it, I know it. No matter how many disasters come, no matter how many conflicts arise, I know that the man on the white horse has already won the battle. I am with him as a diadem on his head. I am called to intercede and to bless as a priest that that he is going to come again and when he comes again, his kingdom will come in its fullness. Revelation 21 verses three and (coughs) four, it shows us what this looks like. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place, the dwelling place of our father, the dwelling place of God is now among his people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be their God, not the beasts, not the idols, God himself will be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. The old order of things has passed away. He who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. Where have we heard that before? Right at the beginning when Jesus, the writer was trust faithful, trustworthy and true. The one who is trustworthy and true will make all things new. You don't have to grasp for power anymore. You don't have to grasp for control anymore. You don't have to fear or try and control political powers or religious powers or floods or earthquakes or hurricanes or diseases or finances or relationships anymore. Jesus has the power. God is in control. He is the power giver. He has it. He has the control. Jesus went and he died and he rose and he took with him the keys to death and Hades. You and I couldn't have had that power to begin with. We don't have control over death. We don't. Jesus has the keys to death and Hades. He is the hope of the world. You don't need to keep searching down dark roads looking for hope in a dark time. He is the light and he is the life. You ride in with him as a victory crown on his head. You operate in this world as one of his priests called to intercede and called to bless. Are there still skirmishes going on in the world? Yeah. Yes, there are. Do bad things still happen? Yes, there's plenty of work to be done when it comes to injustice and many other spiritual battles. And this enemy is still prowling around looking for those who can devour. Obviously, yes. But in the end, we've been given assurance that our God is powerful. He's powerful enough to have already won the victory. He prevails, that He is with us in the midst of our struggles right now as we await his return. That when we hand our battles over to him, he works all things for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purposes. We are called to intercede and to bless and to hand over our battles and to receive his victory. Now I know this message has been a lot of of big picture, pie in the sky, revelation, imagery stuff, but listen, if we are to love people fully, If we are to share with them the hope of the world that is Jesus, we must know what that hope looks like when it's realized in its fullness. For if we miss that, we miss who Jesus truly is now. We are missing the hope of the world. But when that hope is shared, faith bubbles up. For faith is the assurance of things hoped for. The assurance of things hoped for. It's Christmas we celebrate the hope of the world we celebrate the one who Isaiah prophesied about and as people who walked in great darkness we have seen a great light Isaiah chapter 9 those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness on them light has shone for to us a child is born to us a son is given and the government shall be on his shoulder and his name shall be called wonderful counselor mighty god everlasting father prince of peace of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end on the throne of david and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore by the zeal of the lord of hosts we have been given the gift of this king this tiny infant baby lying in a manger this is the king, the king who would come to earth in the form of a real child who would be slain and raised to life and would come back as a man riding on a white horse with all governments resting on his shoulders. That is my king, the wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, the prince of peace, the one whose eyes are like a blazing fire that come to purify my soul and to level his enemies, the one who is riding into battle covered in his own blood with the victory already in hand, for the victory over every battle because he already fought the battle by laying down his life, his government, his Government shall have no end, and his kingdom will reign forever. All hail King Jesus. All hail, all praise be to him. Holy Spirit, would you show us who you really are? Would it supersede our opinions? Would it supersede the ways that we try and get control back? God, you have it in control. Whether I like it or not, I have to know and I have to understand because one day you will return. You will show off your power and your might and all these beasts, all these forces, all this chaos will come to a screeching halt because as you show up, it ends. It's over. It is done. Holy Spirit, show us the reality of the man on the white horse and may we live from it may that be where we get our hope from not vices not our own ideas or comprehend god but 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 would you be where our hope is found if you're listening to this message today and and maybe you don't know jesus maybe you don't have that personal relationship with him listen this all-powerful king dripping in his own blood that it comes with the victory, that all the weight of the government and of society and of the earth, all of it is placed on his shoulders. That king, he created you. He knit you together in your mother's womb and he wants to have a relationship with you. He wants to know you. So if that's you, and if you wanna have a relationship with that king and to allow him to be truly the hope of the world in your life, he already is in reality, the hope of the world, if you want him to be your hope, you can pray this with me. And even if you've prayed this before, let's pray this together. Dear Jesus, I ask that you come into my life. I accept you as my Lord and Savior. I receive the free gift of salvation that only you offer. God, I know that I've sinned, but Jesus, would you come and give me a new life? I make you Lord over my life. In Jesus' name, love you. And just one more thing before we go. Again, this has been really big pie in the sky. But one way that we can start putting this into practice is is every day being willing to let God show us where we might be looking for control on our own. So if you want to be a part of that, you can pray this with me. God, show me where I am holding on to control. And Lord Jesus. Help me to hand that over to you. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for joining us on the Life Church audio podcast. If this message spoke to you, go ahead and share it with your friends and family. And let's get the Word of God into the lives of more people out there. For more information about us, go to thisislifechurch.com. And remember that we can make a difference by loving people.